Tonight I'll be reading 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 18. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phulagos and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Allow me to pray. A triune God, we thank you uh, for great examples of the faith. Lord, we thank you that in fallen creatures like us, Lord, the, even, even the good that, that is there, we know it's only a gift from you. And so, Lord, I pray tonight as we look at one positive example and several negative examples, that behind the positive, we would see the greater example of the Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. And I pray these things in your most holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul's a man who has often known rejection, abandonment. The first missionary journey, Paul sets out with Barnabas, John Mark. It's in the middle of their journey, they're headed uh, to a town called Pamphylia. John Mark decides he's going to turn back and go home. Many scholars speculate as to why this would happen. Some say, and I kind of like this theory, that all of them probably had malaria from traveling around in that Mediterranean kind of seacoast environment. Shortly after John Mark leaves, we notice that Paul and Barnabas, they head up into the mountains, perhaps again to get away from a disease or to recover from a disease like that. Paul's not happy about that engagement. The beginning of the second missionary journey, Acts 15, Barnabas and Paul are set to go out again. And they have a discussion before the journey starts. Barnabas wants to take along John Mark again. Verses 38 through 40 of Acts 15 give us insight into this conversation. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. It's amazing to me that John Mark caused a major problem for Paul. Nevertheless, in 2 Timothy 4, as Paul is on practically his deathbed, he's about to be led away, he's about to be killed. And who does he ask for? Bring John Mark with you. Paul knew the pain of abandonment, and yet at the same time, by God's mercy, he was able to reconcile with John Mark. In our scripture today, we're going to learn of at least two people with whom Paul had a relationship that could not be reconciled, and one who was faithful to him. Mark had proved faithful to the end. In contrast, Phulagos and Hermogenes, they were unfaithful to the end. 
Allow me to set the stage for 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 18. Paul has just encouraged Timothy to remain steadfast to the sound pattern of teaching that he's heard from Paul. He goes on to charge Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So in our scripture today, we're going to learn about two men who did not guard that good deposit, and at least one who did. Here's my thesis. I think the main point is this. The positive examples of believers who are faithful to their calling allow us to see the greater reality of Christ's faithfulness to the plan of redemption. Let me say it differently. I've read some books on this text, and what they do is they hold up Onesiphorus as the model to be emulated. You know, imitate or imitate him. I don't think that's the point of the text. I'll give you a charge instead. Be like the faithful man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our scripture has two movements. We see today negative examples of unfaithfulness in verse 15. And then Paul gives us one positive example of Christian faithfulness. Verses 16 through 18. Let's look at verse 15 first. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Fulagos and Hermogenes. Paul is most certainly speaking in a hyperbolic way when he speaks of all have abandoned him in the province of Asia. Timothy is from Asia. Onesiphorus is from Asia. Others are from Asia who have not deserted Paul. But nevertheless, in the cell that Paul is in, perhaps he is uh, hurt by the abandonment that these men have caused. And this causes him to feel a type of great depression over his soul when he thinks of these two men. Uh, J.D. Kelly calls his exaggeration here, characteristic of spiritual depression. William Mounts argues that uh, Paul was suffering the natural psychological depression of a person in his situation. What is his situation? He's virtually alone. He's in a prison known as the Mamertime Prison. He's awaiting his death. He doesn't really say, some have abandoned me. Paul labels two names. You know, it's a difficult thing to find your name in Scripture if it's a bad experience. And here are these two men, Fuligas and Hermogenes. They are known and they forever will be as those who abandoned and rejected Paul. Their wound was deep and personal. Kent Hughes writes, you have to be in a real relationship with people for them to hurt you. People you do not, who you do not know cannot hurt you. Hurt comes when you have known them, loved them, and invested in them. One of my deepest wounds was from a former student that I had. I taught him, tried to mentor him, shared many common ministry experiences with this student, and nevertheless, a rift developed that has still not been mended to this day. It is the people to whom you are the closest that can also cause you the greatest pain. I spoke with a man recently um, whose wife of many decades had been living a double life. And he recently learned of this. 
He said that his whole world came crashing down when he found out. She came to him one day and she said, I, you, know, you got to understand, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you. I'm leaving. He said, you cannot imagine the pain of abandonment and rejection that I feel now. And I told him, you must realize that you are not alone. Christ is with you. The church is with you. Your friends are with you. What you need is perspective on the situation. I spoke today about uh, having that Elijah-type syndrome where you think that you're all alone and you're the only faithful one. Tell them, you're not. When you feel like you are alone, you never are. Tell them, but be careful. Do not raise this pain to the level of deity because you cannot know and you never will the degree that Christ suffered. You think your situation is bad, consider his. Everyone abandoned him in the garden. And not only that, but he had to face the wrath of God Almighty. No one has been more alone than the son in that experience. In the Garden of Gethsemane, everyone deserted Christ. To be de deserted by your friends or you know, even a spouse, it's a terrible burden to bear. But to experience the wrath of God Almighty, that is far worse. Jesus not only faced death alone, but he faced the wrath of the Father alone. And no experience on this earth can compare with that. It's easy for us to catalog our own personal grievances and perhaps you know, lift them and elevate them up into a high position. Friends, no one of us has experienced pain like that. Let me ask you a question. Why would those in Asia desert Paul? He's a prisoner. Why would you abandon this man? I can think of at least two reasons why you would leave Paul behind. The first reason, Paul's an enemy of the state. He is in prison. He's condemned. He's about to die. If you associate with a known criminal, what does that say about you? Perhaps the eye of the state should turn to you as well. I can think of one other reason why one would abandon Paul at this moment. 2 Timothy 4.10, we read about a man by the name of Demas. Demas abandoned the gospel, Paul tells us, because he loved this world more than he loved Christ. Some people leave the gospel behind because they care more about the world, the allurement of the world, than they do about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says no one can serve two masters, for either he will love the one, or he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's interesting as well that Paul doesn't spend all that much time, just one small verse on two negative examples. But he spends the rest of his time on a positive example. Onesiphorus, verses 16 through 18. 
May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So we move into the positive example. I want to caution you. It's easy to read through the Bible to see maybe some heroic deeds of individual figures and then elevate those deeds as, uh, you know, Traits that you need to have, you know, people to emulate, things like that. Don't make an idol out of this man. He wouldn't commend that. Paul wouldn't commend that activity either. But instead, I want you to see through him the faithfulness of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Because of Onesiphorus' faithfulness to the gospel, Paul offers up two prayer wishes for the household of Onesiphorus. The first wish is in verses 16 and 17. Read it again. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Many scholars believe that Onesiphorus is already dead by the time that Paul writes. They believe this because Paul is greeting his household and not necessarily the man, Onesiphorus. Paul also asked for mercy for him on that day. The phrase on that day, I know Jeremy's gone through the book of Zechariah with you. You know, what does on that day or that day mean in Zechariah? This is the end, is it not? It's the day of judgment, the day of salvation. And so Paul is offering up prayers for mercy for his friend, whom he will see again on that day. And until Paul sees him, until that day, warm memories flood his soul of Onesiphorus. Paul lists three reasons or three occasions that Onesiphorus was invaluable to him. The first, verse 16, Onesiphorus often refreshed Paul. The idea of refreshment, it includes, I think, emotional, physical, perhaps even financial aid. You have to understand that prison in the ancient world was not as it is today. You know, prison today, not that bad. As a kid, I used to think, hey, yeah, going to jail, you get to read books all day, and they feed you. Doesn't sound that half bad. It's not the way it was in the ancient world. In the ancient world, often the uh, prison cells, they didn't provide you with food. Instead, either your income, your own personal wealth, or your friends had to bring uh, provision for your needs. It's one thing to identify empathetically with a person in need. It's quite another to bring them food, to bring them money in their hour of need. Onesiphorus probably did both of these for Paul. Jesus speaks about the second coming. He compares it to a shepherd separating sheep from goats. The sheep are those who have done the will of their Father in heaven. The goats are those who have not. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Jesus says this. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Scripture today is really looking at the difference between sheep and goats. Of course, we've seen two goats already, Phulagos and Hermogenes. They have goat-like character. They abandon Paul. We also see a sheep, Onesiphorus, who is actually given aid to the cause of Christ by helping Paul. The second reason why Onesiphorus is invaluable is because he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Shame in the ancient world deals with status. Onesiphorus was not afraid of a loss in personal status due to spending time with a known criminal like Paul. And again, we must assume that identification with a known enemy of the state was dangerous business. Onesiphorus was not afraid. Third, finally, Onesiphorus sought Paul until he found him in Rome. Rome was a very large city. It would have been difficult to find Paul there. One can only imagine Onesiphorus' search. You know, he's looking everywhere for the great apostle Paul, knocking on some doors. He's not there. Finally, he finds the remote location in which Paul is being held as a prisoner, the Mamertine prison. And he finds Paul. He persisted until he found him. I'll never forget uh, serving as an intern in a rather large church one summer. Every minister on staff was in charge of doing hospital calls. And this was a weekly activity. You would have a certain day and you would go and you would make these calls. And interns would be placed alongside, you know, more seasoned pastors as they went out and made hospital calls to learn how to do the ministry of serving those who are in need. I'll never forget going with one particular pastor. Uh, On his way out of the church, he grabbed a massive stack of business cards. He told me, he said, I'm not gifted at this. Okay, he jumped in the car and we went to the hospital. And when we got to the hospital, we went down the halls and we found the rooms where the patients were located that were members of this church. And uh, the doors were often shut most hospital rooms, the doors are shut. You know, Dr. Huebner can tell you that. And he would knock on the door like this. Nobody would answer. And he would get out a business card, slide it under the door, and we're gone, off to the next door. You know? I can only imagine uh, reading Matthew 25 in that way. You know? I was sick. And you gently knocked the door and slid a business card under. He was feigning interest because he didn't want to do it. Onesiphorus was not like that. He didn't feign interest in the apostle. He searched diligently, 
diligently until they found him. And again, let me caution you. It's very easy at this point to look at Onesiphorus and raise him up. I would say, don't do it. Instead, imitate the life of Christ. Think about Jesus' diligent pursuit to the cross. Think about his persistence in paying the debt that you and I owe to God. When everything and everyone was against him in the garden and at Golgotha, Christ saw his mission through to the end. Timothy endured diligently like Christ. Paul closes this, this short section by giving one more prayer at the end of verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul's final prayer wish focuses on grace and mercy to Onesiphorus on that day, the day of judgment. Paul thinks now his memories of the service that Onesiphorus also renders come to his mind. And because of these, he prays mercy for him. Why will there be mercy for Onesiphorus on the day of judgment? Ask it differently. Why is there mercy for you on that day? There is mercy for him and there is mercy for you. Because we who believe are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of our union with Christ, he paid the debt that we owe. Because of our union with Christ, his work is merited to us. Because of our union with Christ, we are saved on that day. Paul also remembers one thing about this man, his great service. I would charge those of you who serve in the church to think about Onesiphorus now. Serve faithfully, serve diligently. It is not unnoticed. The things that you do for the cause of Christ are not unnoticed by the church nor by the Lord. Continue the good fight. Paul has known what it was to be abandoned. Paul knew rejection, but he also knew the sweet fellowship of one who stuck by him to the end. Through the companionship of Onesiphorus, Paul would affirm that the positive examples of believers who are faithful to their calling allow us to see the greater reality of Christ's faithfulness to the plan of redemption. Let us pray. Our triune God, we thank you that Again, you conceived a plan, the plan, in order to save sinners. Lord God, we also thank you that you have propelled your church with the ministry of the gospel. Lord, I pray for Christ's covenant as a church. I pray that she would always be faithful to our calling. 
pray that she would persist unto the end. We ask these name, these things, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.